This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. The book of 2 Kings, uh, chapter 3. 2 Kings, chapter 3. And before we even read any uh, of this passage, let me remind you that this is part four of our little series of studies into the life of Elisha, uh, which is called Following in the Footsteps of a Prophet. Now, this incident that we're going to read about here this morning, the life of Elisha, took place uh, when he ministered during the divided kingdom. The divided kingdom was that the 12 tribes had split, and the 10 most northern tribes became most commonly known as Israel. And the two southern tribes of Judah, which was the biggest, simply became known as Judah. And uh, Judah was where the capital of Jerusalem was, and Samaria was the capital of the northern tribes, uh, Israel. And King Ahab had been ruling, but he had died and his son Hazariah had taken over, but he only lived for two years, and he died. And then another son, Jehoram, or Joham, sometimes some of your translations may call him, uh, he then was ruling at this particular time in the northern kingdom. And he was not just as bad as Ahab, his father, and Jezebel, his mother, uh, in idolatry, but nevertheless, he was idolatrous. And he did not rid the nation of all of the idols that he should have done. Uh, Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom, Judah. And uh, he also, incidentally, had a son named Jehoram. And his son, Jehoram, was married to the sister of Jehoram in the north, Athaliah. And so there's connections there, even in this divided kingdom. And Jehoshaphat was a good king, uh, Jehoram was uh, an evil king, an idolatrous king. And uh, at this time, whenever Ahab died, there's another king of Moab, uh, Misha. And Misha was giving every single year as tribute to Ahab, or a kind of a taxation, if you will, to Ahab, 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. So that's a considerable amount that he had to give every single year. But when Ahab died, and his son took over, and then he died, and then his new son took over, Jehoram, uh, Misha thought, well, it's time to uh, throw off this yoke of taxation. Uh, it's time to rebel against this uh, new king. Now, Jehoram wasn't having any of it. He certainly did not want to lose all of this revenue and income that was coming into his kingdom, so he decided to go to war against Moab. And to go to war against Moab, he mustered, we'll see in a moment, he mustered his army. In other words, he, he counted his fighting men. And having mustered his army, he must have felt that he just didn't have quite enough strength and power, even though they're a much bigger nation than Moab, to go against Misha. And so he decided to enlist the help of Jehoshaphat. And foolishly, Jehoshaphat sided with him against Moab. And uh, 
uh, if you can imagine the, the geography of this place, this will make much more sense then when we read it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But the Dead Sea, to the, to the west of the Dead Sea, all the way west of the Dead Sea was Judah, the southern kingdom, and north and west of the Dead Sea uh, was Israel. But then to the east of the Dead Sea and the southeast was Moab, and right underneath Moab was Edom. And, uh, and away to the northeast of the Dead Sea was the Ammonites, who were an ancient enemy. And so whenever the kings decided then uh, to team up together, they wondered how they were going to do this. What would their strategy be? And the strategy then was suggested that instead of going up north side of the Dead Sea to attack Moab, uh, they would go south through Edom. And that way they could gather up the king of Edom and his troops so you'd have three fighting armies going against Moab. And that was the plan. That was the strategy to do that. So with that as a, as a backdrop to the story, let's begin reading uh, and that'll make a little bit more sense to you. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, came, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned, reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, and he did not depart from them. Now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, and my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by the way of wilderness of Edom. That, that would be the, the least dangerous and least resistant route to take. Had they went north over the Dead Sea and down that way, that's where the lines of defenses of Edom always were strongest. So this seemed like a good strategy and a good plan. So he answered by the way of Edom. And so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, for the animals and the animals that followed them. So let's just pause there for a moment. What seemed like a brilliant strategy, what seemed like a good military idea at the time is now turning into what could be an absolute disaster. They had not reckoned that they would get to Edom and they would get close to the border of Moab. There was a, a river that ran through there, uh, the Zered River, but it was completely and utterly dried up. There was just no water. The fatal mistake they made was they did not seek God. They talked to each other. They planned militarily. They had their own strategies. But not once did they stop and think, what does God say about this? Now, you could have expected uh, nothing less uh, than, than a total disregard for God from Jehoram. 
And you certainly wouldn't expect it from the king of Edom, a rank pagan. But Jehoshaphat, who was a godly king, at least you would expect it from him. But no, nobody sought the Lord. And in these days that we live in, I wonder how many world leaders, I wonder how many prime ministers and presidents and kings and queens ever seek the Lord about their nation. I wonder if they're going to war, do they ever pray about it? Whenever Tony Blair was the prime minister of Great Britain, the Labour prime minister, in the early 2000s, whenever he joined forces with uh, President George Bush of America in the war of terrorism uh, against Iraq and against Afghanistan. Uh, one time, George Bush admitted freely that every day he prayed in the Oval Office that God would give him wisdom. And so one reporter asked uh, Alistair Campbell, who was the Prime Minister Tony Blair's, uh, uh, I suppose his PR man, his spin doctor, Asked him, well, do you pray? And his famous words was, we don't do God. And they didn't do God. No thought of the Almighty. No thought as world leaders. What does God say about this? We're in God's hands. God put us in this position. We should acknowledge, at least acknowledge the Almighty. But no, we don't do God. Well, at this point, these three kings weren't doing God. They weren't seeking his face. But now, when they come to a crisis, it changes. And it can change one of two ways. Listen what happens. And so they got there. There was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now think of this. Here's a man who has no time whatsoever for the Lord God Jehovah. None. Not interested. He's got his own gods. A Baal worshiper. A pagan at heart. But when things go wrong, who does he blame? He blames the Almighty. It's God's doing this. It's God's fault. That's why we're in the state we're in. And don't we hear that echo even today? Even among just ordinary people. People who's no interest in God, no interest in the things of God, no interest in the Word of God, no interest in the house of God, never darkens a church door, and then when something bad happens, bang, who do they blame first? God. It's typical, isn't it? And certainly, typical of this king. But notice, verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So, better he hadn't done it in the first place, but at least belatedly, he's acknowledging we need to seek the Lord. If only national leaders even at a late hour, even when the crisis is upon us, if only national leaders would say, we need to seek the Lord. We need to hear from heaven. Somebody needs to hear from heaven for this country, don't they? 
as we're facing falling into an economical abyss. I hope people are praying. And, and I think I can safely say at least there's going to be some leaders in our government that are praying. They better be. But here he said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Here is this unnamed and to all intents and purposes unknown little servant who was attuned to spiritual things. He said, yes, Elisha the prophet is here. Now, what in the world was Elisha the prophet doing there? The last time we left Elisha the prophet, he was in Samaria. He was away up north. Israel was where he ministered. He was in the capital city. He's a long way from home. So we can only assume either he got there ahead of them or he tagged along behind them, but we know now that he's there. He's the right man in the right place at the right time. God knew what was going to happen. God knew how this was going to pan out, and he had the right man at the right place at the right time. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Be nice if it was known that in all believers today that the word of the Lord is with them, that they've got the ear of heaven, that they know God. Let's ask them that would be nice, wouldn't it? Whereas today we get the impression that the church is all but irrelevant to society. We don't know God. We don't need those people who call themselves Christians. But they do. And they will. And here's a, a little thought. Again, when we last left Elisha, do you remember that gang of thugs who were mocking him and ridiculing him and telling basically to get lost. Go up, go up, you bald head. You know, go back up there where Elijah went. You know, where your spirit, your father went. You know, we don't need your sort around here. He, he gone from that to these three kings honoring him, coming to him, not, hey, send for him to come to us. We'll go to him. That shows some honor, doesn't it? And often that's the way it is, even with Christians. There'll be those who will mock and ridicule and laugh and scorn, but there'll be those who will honor and favor. So you may get it both ways. <laughs> and so, whenever they went down to him, verse 13, then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Boy, he was quite angry. He had no time for this rascal. 
this idolatrous king. Why don't you go to the prophets of Baal? See what they say about your situation. That's basically what he sent to him. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. All he could think about was blaming God. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Ah. Jehoshaphat was of the lineage of David. He says, I'll I'll deal with this. I'll ask God, but not for your sake, but because of Jehoshaphat. It's the only reason. If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, wouldn't even give you the time of day, wouldn't even look at you. It takes some courage and boldness to speak to kings that way, doesn't it? With all of their armies behind them. Well, this prophet was absolutely fearless. In that respect, he was very much like Elijah. But then he said, verse 15, but now bring me a musician. The resident says, bring me a harpist. You know, when kings went out to war in those days, they, they had musicians with them. Cheer up the troops. You know, during the last war, there were some regiments had those who played the bagpipes out in front of them. That would scare the life out of any man of me, wouldn't it, Margaret? The scare of the bagpipes. <laughs> but they did it not to scare the enemy, although it probably did, but to encourage the troops that was coming behind, give them a bit of courage. So he says, get me a minstrel, get me a harpist. Because he was angry. He was upset. He wasn't in the right frame of mind to hear from heaven at this point. So what does he do? Calm me down. Get me somebody to play the harp. And that would calm him down. He needed a quiet place to hear from the Lord. And that's a little lesson from us, isn't it? Sometimes you need to turn that old goggle box off and go into your room and close your eyes, get the word of God out, and just be quiet before God to hear and to listen if God has something to say. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city, every choice city, shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Ah. Make this valley full of ditches. It seemed the most ridiculous instruction ever. These soldiers, these three armies, had marched seven days in the hot, blazing sun. They were tired, they were weary, 
They were thirsty. The last thing they would want to do is start and dig holes in the wilderness. And Elisha said, you shall not see the wind, you shall not see the rain. There will be no external evidence of what God is going to do. So it's going to require two things from you. It's going to require obedience and it's going to require faith. And the Christian life requires two things above all, obedience and faith to follow the Lord. Because we will not always have external evidences of what he's about to do or going to do. We have to trust him, we have to believe in him, and we have to obey him. So he says, make this valley full of ditches. Because the Lord, in effect, is going to fill every one of them. So you better make a lot. Don't stop until I tell you. In the next chapter, by the way, we'll come to that another point. The little woman with the oil that was multiplied. The oil only stopped multiplying once you ran out of jars. God has got an abundant supply. And the problem is not his capacity to give, but our capacity to receive. That's the problem. And he was making sure that their capacity to receive would be not equal to, but at least commensurate to God's capacity to give. God has got an abundant supply. 5,000 men besides women and children fed by five loaves and two fishes. Fill up the water pots with water. All six of them containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. That's abundant supply, isn't it? And so he's telling them, listen, God is going to give you an abundant supply, but you've got to prepare for it. You've got to do something. You've got to trust. You've got to obey. You mightn't feel like it. You might think it's stupid. It's silly. It doesn't make any sense in the natural, but you've got to do it. Make this valley full of ditches. For the lust saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water. Far away out of your sight is what he's telling them. God is going to be working on your behalf. When you can't see it and you can't feel it, no wind in your face, no little spits of rain coming down, no evidence that God's working but he's way, way, way ahead of you working on your behalf. All you've got to do is trust and obey and do what I say. That's what Elisha is telling them. Now it happened, verse 20, in the morning it happened when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Thank God they obeyed. 
and dug that valley full of ditches. Because if they had not obeyed, the rain and the water still would have came, but they could not have got the benefit from it. It would have been like a flash flood. It would just swept through that valley and been gone. And it would be no good to them. All they would be able to do was stand and watch it happening. But they obeyed. And they worked. And they trusted. And now they're reaping the benefit. Because God's word is true. His promises are faithful. And the valley is full of water. Enough for all three armies. (laughs) But let me add this. This was just not that they could have a good drink and slake their thirst. They needed that. They needed that to survive. But it was for more than that. It's so that they go and fight the enemy and win the battle. And when God blesses us, oftentimes we get hung up on that that blessing, not realizing there's purpose for that blessing. You know, God has a purpose in it. There's something more than just that physical blessing he gives to us. And there was something more for them to do. Yes, they needed it. Yes, they got it. But they couldn't camp there. They'd have to go and face the enemy and win the battle. But now they'd be stronger. Now they'd be encouraged. Now they would know that God was going to help them so they could go forth with confidence and it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. Ah. Once they knew what was happening and once they saw these armies gathering, They knew there was a fight on. So what did they do? They gathered their armies, they gathered their men, and they were going to take on this battle. But look what happens. Then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and killed one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. So in other words, when that early morning sun shone upon that water, and all of that probably, that dust that was rising up from the armies in that valley, when they saw that water, it looked just like blood. It was blood red. And they immediately thought, and the reason why they thought, surely these armies have turned against each other, because that's what happened to them. Because probably just more than just a year previous to this, Moab and Edom and the Ammonites attacked Jehoshaphat, and the similar thing happened. And they fought among each other and were killing each other. And here they are thinking the same thing. The enemy's not as smart as we think he is sometimes. And so they said, look, they're slaughtered each other. Let's go and get the plunder. Let's get the spoil. 
there must be tons of weapons and lots of money and lots of cattle and lots of goods for us to take. Come on, Bob, go to the spoil. So they thought this is easy. And so they came to the camp of Israel and Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land killing the Moabites. And then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones at Kerharasheth intact. However, the slinger surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took him with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but he could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. Can you imagine? This shows you the wickedness and the pagan hearts of the Moabites. Here was a man, think about it, here was a man who thought more about his sheep than he did about his own son. Here's a man who thought more about his fortune than he did about his family. He wasn't prepared anymore to give up his sheep to Israel, but he was prepared to give up his son to Chemosh, his God. Wasn't prepared to give up his fortune, but prepared to give up his family. How many people today, similarly, are not prepared to give up their fortune, but they give up their family to keep their fortune or to make their fortune? Because money's their God, it's what they worship. And so in front of all the armies, in front of all his own people, his son, his regent who would take over from him, he sacrificed him to his God, burned him alive. And it says there was great indignation against Israel. Hmm. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. They didn't actually finish the job. We don't know why at that point they returned to their own land. Maybe what they saw sickened them to the pit of their stomach. Probably did with Jehoshaphat at least. Not too sure about Jehoram because he was wicked. But for whatever reason, it wasn't Judah, it was Israel. For whatever reason, they went back to their own land. They left. Elisha told them to dig the valley full of ditches. You won't hear the wind. You won't see the rain but that valley shall be full of water. And it happened exactly as the prophet said it would. And they did have a great victory. They could have had an even bigger victory had they not have turned back at that point. But they had a great victory because they sought the Lord. And the Lord gave them wisdom 
and gave them a miraculous answer. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.